Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Today is all about you. We're going to take your questions and your phone calls all throughout the show. If you'd like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So today on the show... I'm without Darren. It's just me flying solo. Tomorrow, well, actually Sunday, is the uh, South Dakota State versus North Dakota State FCS National Championship game. So both Darren and I are going to head down there. Darren already left today. I'm going down tomorrow. Should be a lot of fun. And you know what? It's going to be a lot warmer than it is here in South Dakota. I think it was zero when I got up this morning. And they're talking maybe in the 50s, maybe even 60 on Sunday in Frisco, Texas. That's right by Dallas. So anyway, that's where we're headed over the weekend. Uh, So again, today, it's Farmer Friday. We're going to get to your calls and questions all throughout the show. So right now, let's hit the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Okay, so first question here comes from Dave in Michigan. He says, as a non-farmer, I know that winter wheat is planted in the fall and spring wheat is planted in the spring. Other than that, what's the difference? Uh, And why does it seem like it's regional? So Michigan farmers only plant red or white winter. Western farmers lean towards spring wheat. Is there a difference in the finished grain? Um, the, The biggest difference is when we start talking hard or soft wheat, and then red or white wheat. So there definitely are differences out there. But in terms of what your initial question was, the fall versus the spring, there's not a tremendous amount of difference if we just look at, let's say, hard red winter versus hard red spring. But I would say this, the winter wheat needs to go through what they call as a vernalization process, where basically it's got to get cold and then it's got to, and then it's got to warm up. So if you planted let's say it was hot conditions late in the spring and you planted the winter wheat, theoretically, it shouldn't be growing until you hit that vernalization or that, that, uh, well, let me me take that back. It'll grow, but it's, it's not going to produce any seed. It needs that cold temperature. That's what I'm trying to say. Not so it, the, the winter, let me step back because I'm, I'm doing a horrible job explaining this. The, the winter wheat will grow in the fall. It'll germinate in the fall. But what they need, that vernalization process, what that is, it's um, to get cold enough, and then that plant knows, okay, now I can go into that next step once things warm up, and then it ends up producing grain in the spring. Whereas spring wheat, you plant it, grows, produces grain, you're good to go. Anyway, what we've always found is winter wheat is typically going to outyield spring wheat. And yeah, I mean, you think about it, it only makes sense. The winter wheat gets to grow longer, gets to pull more nutrients in, theoretically. It just has more time. So the biggest difference, though, that we found on our own farm, my dad always used to complain that I can't keep winter wheat alive over the winter. Now, we would like a good snow cover. That really seems to help. But the other side of it is you just have a have to have a tremendously healthy plant going into the winter so it can survive that winter. And like on our farm, once we dramatically increased the overall fertility levels in our soil, got tiling done so we had good drainage, all these things, all of a sudden our winter wheat survived just fine. So anyway, 
those are those are some of the big differences, even though I did a terrible job explaining. Okay, next one here is from Joel. He says, uh, I've got a sprayer that'll clear approximately five feet tall corn. I'm thinking about using a broadcast spreader to seed cover crop in mid to late July. I've read that the seed should emerge and then grow when the crop is removed. We have pivot irrigation, so moisture is not a problem. Do you think I'm wasting my time and resources trying this? Joel, you're never wasting, in my book, time or resources when you try different things on the farm. Try being the key word. Would I suggest you do this on all your acres? Not a chance in the world. Do I think it's going to turn out poorly and turn out to be a waste of money? I think so. Because here's what we've typically found. When you're trying to grow cover crop mid-season, hopefully you're normal crop, your corn crop that you're raising is so amazing, it will choke out all the weeds. Okay, we we've, we talk about uh, about crop canopy all the time as the best weed killer there is, better than any herbicide out there. Well, when you're mid-season, you've got that crop canopy. So now you're asking those seeds to sit there. Well, if there's just a little bit of light, if there's just enough for them to get moisture, for them to get going and stuff, they start and then they die because they have no sunlight. So I don't think that's going to work for you very well. Like on our farm, what we've gone to is we will, like literally the day that either the combine or like in our case, usually the silage cutter is in the field, we want to be in the field with the cover crop, seeding it in. And the best way to do that is with a drill actually planting it in effect. All right. Uh, Next one here is from Jason. He's up in Western Canada and he said, Uh, Hi, guys. I wrote an article for the Canola Digest, January 2023, about tile drainage being a foundational investment on the farm. And I just want to thank you for sharing valuable information about the benefits of tile drainage. I believe that for growers here in Western Canada who want to improve profitability and resilience in their land, tile drainage must be part of that plan. Jason, I agree with you at least if you've got medium to heavy soils. Now, if you had super light soil, is tile real necessary? Well, maybe not. But what you're dealing with out there is a lot of medium to heavy soils. So anyway, if anybody listening today wants to check out Jason's article, I'm sure you can go to Canola Digest. And the title of his article is Tile Drainage, a Foundational Investment. And that's by Jason Castleman. So thanks, Jason, for doing that. I, I know up in Canada, we've had a lot of questions about tile drainage. There have been a number of different restrictions out there, especially in certain provinces. And so we just encourage everybody, the first thing before you say, oh, I just want to get this done, or I see it makes a farmer money or whatever else, you really have to study it and learn about it and learn about all the things that people are going to say are bad about tile, which for the most part are all untrue. I was talking to a group the other day about people think for some reason that you're going to get flooded out downstream after a farmer upstream puts tile in. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. So think about it logically. The only way the farmer pays for tiles with more yield, well, more yield pulls more water out of the ground. So sure, day one, there'll be more water, but long-term there's less water downstream. That's a guarantee if yields go up. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to the phone lines right after this. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. <laughs> 
Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Robert did from Illinois. Robert, how are you today? I am wonderful. 33 degrees and halfway sunny. So. <laughs> now, for all our listeners that are down south, they're like, 33 degrees? That's terrible. But I don't know how your temps were recently, but we were as cold as about 20 below zero, and wind chills were 50 below zero. So, yeah, we're in the same boat. I mean, 30 degrees, that feels amazing, especially when the sun's out. Well, it's what we got that y'all didn't get uh, earlier in the week. We, we were 62 degrees Monday, Tuesday, wow. and... Uh, and then, but we came off the low, we got to maybe 18 below, maybe, you know, 33 or whatever for the wind chill, you know, which I understand is warm for y'all up there, but yeah. for us, you know, it's pretty <laughs> cold, but yes, we did swing back up. Um, and we lost that. I'm a cattle farmer and, uh, besides row crop farmer and we lost the poor man concrete and it all went to mud real quick. So, but, uh, now we got back, we got just a little bit, we got about halfway poor man concrete. Right now at 32 degrees. So, but yes. Hey, hey, Robert. I I understand yeah. that you're you're involved with the Clean Fuels Alliance with the American Soybean Association. Yes. And if you don't mind, yes, I, I I just I'm I'm curious, how are things going with that? And what are like your top two or three topics? So the we're just coming off of the uh, inside the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. We got our tax credit extended, which we have to go to D.C. and fight for it seems like, which would be a $1 a gallon tax credit um, to on the on the people producing it, okay, um, and then trickles down, you know, through the system, okay, and we got that extended out to 2030, um, or at least some variation. We're guaranteed it through 2025, but then it changes the way the methodology goes. Um, we're currently working on that methodology to make sure that it includes vegetable oils, um, 
because right now vegetable oils is I shouldn't say on the chopping block, but it is. We have to watch how they do the met the the methodology or the formulas on how they how we get credit scores. And basically, it gets down to like indirect land use changes, yeah, um, that yep. kind of stuff. Yep. And that's yep. the stuff we have to fight for going forward. Um, and then uh, also the RV the volumes, um, making sure that we get increased volumes of gallons through uh, what's the RFS, which most people think you know is only about ethanol. But it also in, um, includes the biodiesel industry yep. and also renewable diesel. And we're, we're going to be out there. Um, actually, I'm testifying next week um, in front of EPA wow. to explain to them how the uh, we need more increased. We need higher volumes than what they've given us because um, we've actually got a crush plant coming, um, a proposed crush plant uh, that's getting ready to get built uh, next to an ethanol plant where uh, 60% of my corn currently is delivered as delivered to for my sure. co-op yep. um it turned into ethanol so where they're hoping to be in a, build a big bean plant to to ship sustainable aviation fuel for jets okay yep that would be on the pipe they're on the pipeline to go to o'hare and midway which is our two biggest um uh airports here in the state of illinois so so what what i struggle with all the time is you just made the comment vegetable oils could be on the chopping block why are all these environmentalists so opposed to renewable fuels that theoretically could be below zero on the carbon index scale if we as farmers build our soil organic matter while we're producing those crops exactly okay so i use 20 percent exactly i use 20 percent biodiesel to put my crop in spray my crop take my crop out and haul it to town okay um and it's renewable okay um i think we get a bad rap because of the forest de- over the rainforest deforestation in brazil and argentina and they think that we're chopping down trees to right. plant beans yeah okay i mean Crazy. most most people in chicago are four generations if not three to four generations removed from the farm right okay and we have to do a better story of telling what we do to because the farmer's the, the number one environmentalist okay we live yep. and die by the environment right. okay and the soil right. so it doesn't you know it doesn't pay us to go out there and tear it up and be bad stewards okay and that's we have to do a better job. The corn people, the bean people, everybody, beef, cattle, pork. We have to do a better job of telling our story. In my opinion, Robert, I just want to thank you a lot for what you do. We need more people like you out there telling that story because we could not agree with you more. We see that same thing all the time. And you you had the correct comment there, in my opinion, that people are three to four generations removed from the farm. I say that often too. You know, if we were only maybe one generation from the farm. I think things would be a lot different than they are today. But anyway, thanks a lot for everything. Really appreciate it, and thanks for being on the show. Yes, sir. Yep, see you in classic. See you, buddy. You yep. All right, let's go next over to the state of Wisconsin. Got Zach calling in. Hey, Zach, how are things in Wisconsin today? Uh, not too bad. It's actually, weather's pretty nice. <clears throat> mid mid to high 20s and no wind, so we can't complain too bad at all. So what are you working on on your farm right now? Uh, well, most of the week we are sitting in the office looking at cost reductions going forward for next year and well today it's you got sick of sitting in the office we're all cutting fence lines today so <laughs> yeah that happens to a lot of people they go skirt stir crazy pretty quick when you're used to working outside and then you're trapped in an office uh, that can be brutal especially when the weather's bad but let me ask you this when you've been in the office you've been looking at this cost of production stuff and everything for this next year how optimistic are you for a great 2023 i know costs are up but but uh, commodity prices are still good you know i think we're still pretty optimistic i mean costs haven't really drastically increased 
compared to what they were last year. The only biggest right. increase we've seen is on the seed side. Chemicals up just a touch, but not bad at all. Yeah. Fertilizer is actually down from what we were last year. So, yep. I mean, and crop prices have been better, if not just a touch stronger than where we were at last year, too, for us. So I I think we're going to have a pretty optimistic year as of right now, as long as we lock some, some uh, you know, some some grain in that go along with our inputs right now and make sure we're going to be safe yeah we'll be just fine that's what we're looking at so do you normally do much pre-selling of grain um usually we're probably 75 to 80 percent sold by the time harvest rolls around and the rest is all dependent on on a bumper crop but on our aph wise we're pretty much got everything sold up into our aph um I'm a younger guy, so I I try to be 90% sold going into it, um, just so I know what we're gonna have and and know my profitability levels first. You know, it's so funny when you bring up the younger guy thing. I'm not a younger guy anymore, but when I was a younger guy, and so I'm doing stuff, my dad's doing stuff, and I, I mean, he effectively gambled, uh, and and that he went pre-sell. I mean, some years, yeah, he would, but a lot of years he wouldn't. He's like, no, I think the market's going up. When, when you're older and you're established, you can take that risk like he him, and for me, I'm like, boy, I got to watch every dollar here and pre-sell and all this stuff, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up there's a big difference and we see a lot of farmers that are still in their 60s and 70s or that are now in their 60s and 70s they think a little different than the younger guys do i think yeah that's exactly it i mean um you know if i had that extra extra cash laying around where i could afford to hold on to it for a while i mean yeah we do miss some highs but you're never going to get the highs anyway no but uh you know we're still selling at a profitable level so i'm i'm comfortable with that right now it's it's a long-term game what this farming thing is. So it's, I'm here to be in the long term, not just here for a couple of years. So anything new or different you're doing on your farm this year? Um, we're, we run infertile and two by two. Um, we're, we're looking at adding some more on technology to planner wise to try and track our infertile a little better. Right now it's just running through a feed and pressure pumps and I can't track what what extra things we're doing through the infero wise we're going to try and track that through our ag leader this year yeah so when we actually do run some tests we don't have to flag it we can have it on a map and in front of our eyes versus well did it actually work or did it not work so that's that's a big thing we're trying to do and trying to find a different way to get our uh our two by two wall without smashing rocks and everything we got a few baseball sized rocks in a lot of our fields that they're just not big enough to pick and Right now, the way our two by two is set up, we catch all those baseball rocks, so it's it makes it fun trying to plant. <laughs> uh, yeah, we only have a couple of fields that are a little bit rocky. We had a couple other fields that are a little rockier, and we uh, we no longer farm those, and I'm happy. So, but yeah, if all your fields are rocky, that's uh, that's a little frustrating a lot of days. Well, hey Zach, thanks a lot for calling in today. Want to wish you a happy new year, and uh, hope things turn out great for you here in 23. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you guys as well. You bet. Today is Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, our phone lines are open all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We're going to go right back to the phone lines after this.
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4. Location? Graber back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer amaranth, kochia, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgium Crop Protection. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Thanks for joining us today on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. If you'd like to call in, it's Farmer Friday, so our phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. Well, with, with things that have been going on here on our own farm here in the last oh, couple of weeks, we really haven't gotten a whole lot accomplished. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's been snowing so much. And we were just talking about, should we buy another snowblower? And I just said, boy, I don't know. I think we just push the snow into piles and just have the one snowblower uh, just keep 
throwing it out there. And that's probably a better, more efficient way to operate things. But yeah, we have multiple people moving snow for, I mean, it's just, it's like two weeks straight almost. Well, one place uh, they may not have to move so much snow or hopefully any snow is out in California. We got Steve calling in from out there. Steve, uh, I don't know exactly where you're from in California, but you ever see snow there? Uh, no, I'm in the valley, but you know, uh, we're not very far. We're only about 70, 80 miles from the Sierras, and they're sure. they're pushing quite a bit of snow right now. Well, out there, they really need it, right? Get that get that moisture level built up. Yeah, yeah, we, we really need it. We're we've actually been under uh, flood watch around us. We've been inundated with the uh, uh, Pineapple Express that's been hitting the uh, the uh, valley here. So we. Just, I got some sun today. Going to get a hit again hard tomorrow. Uh, uh, just doing our water totals for I uh, do the Noah. We had it in December, three inch month for us. So we're hitting it hard and good right now for the drought. You know, it's got to kind of keep coming. But we're having some. Oh, some of my friends got some fields going underwater and stuff a little bit. So hmm. uh, comes with the territory. So you talk about drought, and I know that that gets to be, be a big issue. I've been out in California in many of these different areas where they're producing a lot of crop uh, a lot of times, and everybody's always talking about the moisture struggle, low humidity, and that kind of thing. Um, on top of that, in addition to lack of moisture, I, I mean, what else, what are your big challenges like where you're raising crops? Well, uh, water, you know, wise, uh, we're having issues with the, uh, a lot of the wells are having to go down, and uh, we have soaring PG&E bills. Our, that's our power company, so that's that's becoming a, a big cost for us. And then uh, down here in the valley, I, I raise some almonds, and, and you know the pork struggles have been just a detriment to the almond uh, industry because we don't get the product out. So it's kind of crashed our product quite a bit. And then you know to, to fight the the drought, a lot of the people on the west side and stuff had to dry up some of their ground and. And obviously, the almonds is a year-round deal, and so you have to have you know that, that water all the time. And it's uh, getting a, it's getting pretty tough out here right now. We're in a pretty pretty drastic situation. So what we got going on here with the rains is is going to help us, but you know it also you know causes some problems down the road here with with what they're going to do with the water laws out in California. Okay, you brought up the ports. I mean, are things starting to get better now? Because what I had heard is even all these shipments coming over from China, the the cost uh, uh, for a shipping container is way less than it was just a year ago. And it sounded like things were starting to open up now in in terms of all that traffic that's at the ports. Are things still bad out there? Well, we're still not getting the product out of there. They can say what they want to say. that The the containers are cheaper. There's no doubt about it. But we we still have the struggle of getting product to the ports because there's sure. you know, there some rail cars that are, they've got going from Oakland to go down to, to, to Long Beach to get almonds out of here and I heard there's even some some rail traffic on maybe going all the way to New Jersey just trying to, to move the almonds so and then we had you know, big crops the year before so it's 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 been a struggle it was it was a bad time to have port problems <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah big crops yeah that's for uh, sure anyway. so uh we're, we're making along so, Steve, um, our uh, our producer today said you might have some weed questions for me. Did you happen to remember what those were? He said, I don't know. If- <laughs> no? Oh, gosh. I- no, I got some, man, man, my, my head's uh, not been in it here. We've been 
kind of running and gunning with the, with the water going everywhere. Uh, that's about how I, I feel with the up north. That's about how I feel with the snow around here. It's like two weeks of not being nearly as productive as I should be. Yeah, well, you guys are pushing snow, and we're trying to push water back into the into the banks and and clear it out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My my weed just went through my head here. I I, I raised some alfalfa and some grass up in the up in uh, northeastern uh, California. And, and, oh, uh, sure. Now that yeah, now that we've got Roundup Ready alfalfa, it works out really well. It's, it's wished I had Roundup Ready orchard grass, uh, but they don't they don't do that. <laughs> we have some nope. problems keeping keeping foxtail and stuff out of that. But a lot of yeah. times, you know, I think it's just a pH problem. Some of us gets rid of that. But, yep. Yeah, we talk uh, about that all the time. If we can just try to raise the best crop possible, that usually can choke out a lot of the weeds. Well, hey, Steve, uh, if you ever do think about any weed issues yeah, do, or hey, questions, Malva. just call us it anytime. I, hey, I got it. It's Malva. Malva? Malva and grass. Malva. Melba in grass. Well, uh, I'm not even familiar with what that is, but I might know because sometimes it gets called different things in different areas of the country. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Like during the next break, Steve, I'll uh, I'll look that up in my notes and see if if that relates to any one of the weeds we deal with here. And I'll I'll maybe have Alex uh, uh, shoot you text back or something and let you know what our thoughts are. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Steve. Appreciate right. it. Hey, thank you. Hey, have a great day. Yep. You too. All right, we got our friend uh, Mike Starkey calling in from over in Indiana. Mike, how are you today? Doing well, Brian. How about yourself? Great. I hear you got a whole bunch of conferences coming up, huh? Yeah, exactly. Next week's uh, conference week, we got our state association on uh, soil and water conservation district conference here in Indiana for a couple of days, which is a big thing. But then Tuesday afternoon, heading to St. Louis for the National No-Till, which is a it's a can't miss event for me. Uh, I think this is their thirty-first one, and I think I've been to twenty-six of them. So, okay, so uh, it's, a, it's just an awesome conference. All right, so for you, I, I mean, what keeps you going back? Are you? I assume you're learning something every time, or is it just the fact you get to interact with other people that are doing no-till, or what is? What's the big thing for you? Really, I think the biggest thing is learning from other farmers, the people that yep. have actually done it, my peers. Yep. And they have so many round uh, table sessions to, to pick and choose from. And most of the presentations, I'd say 75 to 80% of the presentations are from farmers instead of uh, a professor from some university or whatever. <laughs> so yep. I, I'm not putting them down, no, but no. it's, I would rather hear from somebody who's actually, you know, learn yep. from their mistakes and tell us, you know, what happened and what to do and what not to do. So that's, that's the biggest part of it. So th- thinking back to the last two, three years, give us just one thing you might've picked up there at the no-till conference where you say, yep, I'm going to change that in my farm. And it's actually worked out. The biggest aha moment in the no-till conference I learned in the last three years is the application of nitrogen on my second application of uh, uh, my Y-dropping. I, I uh, heard a presentation from an outfit called Air Scout, and it just kind of opened up my eyes. It's an outfit where uh, they fly an airplane over your field 11 times a year, pretty re- reasonable cost also. And they have this thermal images. And with that application or that images, 
I take that and I do a VRT application based on my corn needs that year. And with the nitrogen cost that they are this past, you know, year and a half or so, is been my greatest return on investment that I've, you know, had. So that's that's been my biggest win the last three years. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, Mike, uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. We want to wish you a happy new year. Have fun at these conferences coming up. Hope you pick up a couple more things. And uh, great talking to you as always. All right, Brian. You too. Have a good one. You bet. Take care of that snow up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, should be should be, should be fun. <laughs> we'll see you later. Uh, yeah, the the whole snow thing. This is we believe this is our worst year for snow since 1997. A lot of people are saying. Um, I I think it might be the worst since 1969 when I was like a half a year old. But anyway. Uh, we are uh, going to take more of your questions right after this. And I'm going I'm to try to find out uh, on that Malvo weed. We're going to talk about that next. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming... We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Come to Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Come to Commodity Classic. Please join us in Orlando, Florida in 2023. Join us in Orlando for Commodity Classic. The best and most progressive farmers know Orlando is the place to be. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at commodityclassic.com.
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today is Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, so in our last segment, we had Steve on from California, and we got to the bottom of what a couple of these weeds are that he's got. So he was saying Malva weed, and sure enough, um, it is called something different where we farm. That's common mallow. And uh, then I guess we're also going to talk about surly do- sour dock or curly dock that, uh, that we commonly have here in the Midwest as well. So we got Steve back on. Uh, so, Steve, the mallow is in the alfalfa, from what I understand, and the sour dock is sure. in the orchard grass? That both. Uh, both. The, uh, mallow and the sour dock are most prominently in, in, in the grasses, but there is a little bit of mallow in the, in the alfalfa, but we have switched over to quite a bit of that is, is now... Uh, Roundup ready. Uh, Roundup ready alfalfa, but the yeah. ones I don't have Roundup ready, I still have that problem with it. Yeah, and and, and sour docks. So both of them are common in both of my fields. What do you usually use for weed control in your orchard grass? Two four D. How high a rate? Mm, pint and a half. Yep, and that's that's the whole thing right there. So I'll tell you a quick story uh, with this common mallow. We used to have common mallow around some of our farm buildings. Um, I I just remember around our barn and around our our one hog building where we did fair to finish. And anyway, my dad was big on killing weeds, of course. So um, he's like, yep, you spray 2,4-D, whatever. So anyway, I I, I am spraying 2,4-D and it's just not doing the job. And so one time I told Darren, I'm, 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 bumping the rate and we're going to see what happens so i bumped the rate enough and it killed all the mallow and all of a sudden we realized um there's no grass underneath the mallow it was literally like all mallow around these two buildings there's a little slope there so all of a sudden we were getting some erosion so my dad's yelling at me because i caused the erosion and i'm like i just killed the weeds dad but it taught me the lesson of two things number one is you've got to have a higher rate a pint and a half usually is not enough to kill mallow um a quart and a half absolutely will, in my experience. A quart might even do it, but a quart and a half should. Uh, the other thing is keeping the water volume at least a little bit lower on some weeds. Now, mallow isn't terrible, but it still doesn't hold uh, the the herbicide maybe as well as some other plants. Uh, but I, I really think about that more with something like, uh, well, not even curly dock so much. It was more with... Uh, uh, milkweed and dogbane, some of the some of the weeds that have really waxy leaf surfaces. So those are always the two things that I'm focused on. One is rate. Two is water volume. You want more water volume if everything is huge and the leaves will absorb the stuff and hold it on the leaf well. But if stuff is really small and it won't hold it well, then we want to cut that water volume a little bit. So those are the couple things that I would say. So your 2,4-D is probably going to work if you just bump the rate. Now with the mallow, 
Uh, in alfalfa, that's much more of a problem because we don't have anything that is outstanding other than your Roundup deal. So that's great. So you can use Raptor or Pursuit in alfalfa, and that's okay on mallow. It's also okay on curly dock. About the only other product that we will typically use in alfalfa post-emerge is old buckterol, uh, maybe along with like an ounce of butyrac or something. And it's not great on either mallow or or curly dock. It'll help a little bit, but no big deal. So anyway, yeah, I don't have any great answer in your alfalfa other than as long as you're going Roundup and Roundup Ready should be fine. And in the orchard grass, just bump your rate on 2,4-D and it, it should work a lot better. What about on like, now it seems like when we hit that, that uh, orchard grass very hard with that, sometimes we knock, it, knock mm-hmm. the orchard back, grass back a little bit. Is there anything yep. we could do to kind of alleviate that? Um, the only thing, well, two things. One, I'd make sure I have amazing fertility out there. Um, two, you want to be spraying when you have good weather conditions, not just today, but for the next few days so the plant can recover a little more quickly. And then the third thing would maybe be some plant growth hormones. Um, I'm always cautious putting plant growth hormones with 2,4-D though, because 2,4-D in effect is like a plant growth hormone. It's a plant growth regulator that's trying to grow the plant to death. So in my experience, I've just said, boy, I want the healthiest possible grass. And then I don't mind dinging it just a little bit if I can do an amazing job on my weed control. But there is that, you're, you're exactly right. There's that kind of that fine line of, I got to have enough to kill the weed, but I don't want to set my grass back too much. And I don't know exactly what you're going to find for that rate to be with your orchard grass. I just know that in my experience, a pint and a half is not enough to do a real good job on mallow or dock. Okay. And so other than that, like a- yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't have any phenomenal answers for you for those couple of weeds uh, in your orchard grass. There aren't a lot of lot of herbicides that you can use there and both of those are are a little bit tougher. So like in well anyway, I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and we're kind of a short season up north too, so that's why it's hard to be yep. kind of knock it back. It, yep. You know, our growing season's kind of short up there. But uh, yes. anyway, well good. I well I appreciate that. Well I'll I'll up it up a little bit and and see if we can do a little better job keeping it going. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for calling in, Steve. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. All right. Good day. Yep. All right. Got Robert calling in from Illinois next. Hey, Robert, here you got a question on zinc for us today. Yes, our our local co-op made a mathematical error, and instead of spreading, I think, maybe three pounds of elemental zinc, they uh, spread... 13 or maybe 19 pounds. I forget what my son told me. Yep. Uh, is, is that going to be a problem for us? Uh, what crop are you going into? I assume corn? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. We've had the same thing happen. Uh, I'm sorry. No. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's soybeans this year. Oh. It, was, it had corn on it. Sure. Going to soybeans. Okay. Um, all right. First thing that I will tell you is this ha- this does this kind of stuff does happen I, I one year this is i don't know 3 4 years ago on our own farm i look at our soil tests and i go there's one area of the field and i go what the heck is going on we got like 20 parts per million of zinc and our guys like well we didn't say anything but that's where this we had a little issue with the spreader <laughs> and they got about 10 times too much zinc on uh it it really didn't hurt our yield uh or hurt our yield much 
The thing that I will tell you, so like next week, we've got this soils clinic coming up and I've been going through all our data from the last five years and really looking hard at zinc. And with soybeans, it appears to me that the phosphorus to zinc ratio can be a little tighter. In other words, you can have a little more zinc in relation to your phosphorus and it actually turns out pretty well. Uh, But the phosphorus to zinc ratio is really the key. And the other thing that I want to say to you is 13 to 19 pounds of actual zinc is not the end of the world because you're only talking another six and a half parts per million to nine and a half parts per million. And like for our guys, we we had some spots where they got an extra, we got an extra 20 to 30 parts per million in one year and, and it wasn't disaster. So I think you're yeah. going to be okay, Robert. Just make sure you're not yeah. skimping on phosphorus there. Now was this, oh, but, and by the way, was this a whole field or an area? It's actually two fields. Probably totals uh, 120 acres, maybe. Okay, no big deal. I I just say for the... They they are paying for the... uh, We're not having to pay for that extra. That's that's good. (laughs) That's a that's an amazing deal. Quite frankly, I would I would like it if somebody screwed up like that on our farm. But anyway, yeah. I'll just I'll because having more zinc in a lot of cases is actually really good. But what I would think about moving forward is you want to try to keep your phosphorus to zinc ratio somewhere around ten to one. So if you've got low uh-huh. phosphorus in those couple of fields, just keep your phosphorus levels up to fifty to hundred parts per million for the next few years, and I think you're going to be real happy with the results. Okay, we're at, I'm looking at the soil test right now. Yeah. We're at 36 parts per million on phosphorus right now. Yeah, which isn't terrible. Oh, and what what's your current zinc parts per million? Uh, 2.2. Yeah, 2. So right now your ratio is 18 to 1. So that, I'll, I'll yeah. promise you that was hurting your yield. So I'm glad you got the zinc out there. That's great. Yes, they overdid it on zinc, but don't, 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 like I say, don't get too alarmed by that. Just bump your level up, you know. So in other words, if it's now going to most likely go to eight and a half parts per million to 11 and a half parts per million. So that's where I'd say you want that, you know, maybe 80 to 100 parts per million of phosphorus. Keep that up for the next few years. And I think it'll be great. Does it work? We strip till? Um, Hey, Robert, I'll tell you what. Hang on for me just a minute. I got to go to a quick break, but we'll be right back and answer your question. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeereEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at farmshopmfg.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? 
Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. Right before the break, we were talking with Robert from Illinois. Robert, I apologize about that. We ran up against our break there. But what were you saying about strip-till with your zinc issue? The Should we be broadcasting, as, if we try to build up that phosphate, do we need to broadcast it or no. do we just continue the phosphate in the, in the, in the strip? And we also put on uh, five gallons in a two by two by two with sure. uh, with corn planter when we get back to corn. Sure. No, uh, I, I don't have any issue with you uh, just not broadcasting your phosphorus and putting it in the band. It's a more efficient way to do it anyway. Uh, I just kind of keep in mind for the next quite a few years, and I'll, I'll tell you why quite a few years is a big deal in just a second. But anyway, for the next quite a few years, I would just be putting on a little more phosphorus than you normally would because otherwise your ratio is going to be just a little bit out of whack. We want to make sure that we've got that ratio roughly uh, right. And I can just tell you that's quite a bit of zinc for the little bit of phosphorus that's out in your field. Not that your phosphorus level is terrible, but it's just now we we got a much more right. elevated level of zinc. So that, yeah. that's the way it goes. So anyway, next week we've got a soils clinic coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. So one of the things that I was putting together uh, was high zinc situations. And I literally, just before I came in to do the radio show here, I was running through this, and I'll see if I can get this pulled up for you real quick. And here, here is kind of my example. So there's a guy who sent us a soil test with a high zinc in a so it's a high zinc situation. Let's see if I can find it here. All right. And what he had, I'm going to tell you, give me a second here. All right. He had 
30.6 parts per million of zinc. So if you think you're what's probably going to be eight and a half to 11 and a half, I don't know how he got 30.6 out there, but I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of stuff. So how long is that going to last? Um, it's going to last a really long time because when you look at how little zinc is removed from a corn crop and then the next year, so I assume you're in a corn soybean rotation, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. So when you look at that, um, you're only going to remove roughly, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, is something like a quarter of a pound a year. Well, I, I mean, you, you've you've got enough there for decades. So that that zinc is going to outlive me. That's exactly right. And so my whole point is, when guys say, "Hey, I want to really bump my level of zinc or copper or some of these micronutrients," it's fine to bump it somewhat. But it's it's these kind of situations where we go, "Okay, this is going to affect our farm for the next ten to twenty years." And it's not necessarily bad. It's just now we've got to make sure that we keep our phosphorus levels up so we maximize our yield. Because I've got all kinds of data. I got thousands of data points to show you where. Boy, if we get that phosphorus to zinc ratio out of whack, where let's say it is a, well, let's see, you said 36 parts per million. And so, like, I mean, you might be in a three to one situation. Well, if we've got the ratio phosphorus to zinc three to one, I mean, I can show you all kinds of data where that's not real good for yield. We want to keep that up at least six to one, eight to one, 10 to one, something like that. So anyway. Long story, but uh, yeah, I'm not too worried about your stuff. You can keep strip tilling, just bump your rate a little bit, and you should be fine. Do you have a theory on what's going on? Is the problem in the plant or in the soil? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep, my belief is it's in the plant. Okay. So, so I don't that, know that. that... Make it feel better with the with the banding that we're right, doing. Right, right, right. Now, uh, as we talk about that, and and. Okay, so I'll, you asked the question about broadcasting. A lot of times we do kind of like broadcasting because now we are affecting everything out in that soil. And very often for us as farmers, we just think about the plant that we're trying to raise. But there is soil, all kinds of soil life out there. And I will tell you, um, there are a lot of people that are big into soil health that say our zinc levels are just way too low. I mean, like as a general statement, we need to raise our zinc up. So uh, again, I, I'm not super worried about your situation, yeah. but um, I, I don't know for sure what to tell you in between your strips. How is this going to necessarily impact the soil life there? I'm not real sure. The other thing that I will say with zinc is it is not leachable. So in other words, if you don't do anything to till that in, because you just told me you're doing strip till, if you don't do anything to till that in, it's going to stay on that soil surface. And so like on our own farm years ago where we always had our zinc problems, it was always on the side hills. Anywhere where there was erosion, um, if we hadn't gotten our zinc down into the ground, well, that was a problem. So the reason why I'm bringing this up, you've got high, you now have high zinc. But if you have an erosion problem, where is that zinc going to go? It's going to wash the bottom of your field, and now all of a sudden you got a double zinc problem. So, yeah. I, yep. so that's why. It, I, do you normally do any tillage? Do you ever do any tillage other than strip till? Actually, a few years ago, when my son bought this farm, he he tiled, first thing right out of the shoot, he tiled it on fifty foot spacing, and yep. and by not doing much tillage, um, 
we were having trouble getting it kind of smoothed out. So we ran a, borrowed a high speed disc and, and tilled it this fall, but that's kind of out of a bit out of the ordinary. Did you but, do that after the zinc was applied? I believe, yes, it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if it was done after the zinc was applied, you should be in pretty good shape. But yeah, that's the thing okay. with like zinc and phosphorus and copper, and they all kind of link together. And we, we're always talking about the ratios of those nutrients, but for all three of them, they are very immobile in the soil, which is why, yeah. I mean, when you talk about strip tilling phosphorus, you see some really good results with that typically, and we do too, because the plant has a much better chance to find it. It's not just moving around all over in the soil like nitrogen or sulfur or boron. Right. I I seem to recall Neil Kinsey saying one time that either in his book or in one of his talks that uh, he some people thought of zinc as a little bit like candy for the microbes yep, or something like that exactly but, so uh, i sure appreciate your time brian you have a have a have a good new year here so you thank bet. you thanks a lot much. you too yep appreciate okay. it Bye-bye. yeah you never know what kind of questions are going to pop up and we appreciate those questions because it is sometimes a little scary when when you hear uh-oh something got done at whatever 5x the rate or 10x the rate, what now is going to happen? And what should I do to minimize the the negative or potential negative impact that's out there? All right. Our next question here comes from Scott. He says, hi, guys. I was listening to your show last month, and you were talking about this treatment on the soybean seed that would help with high saline soils. What was the name of that product? I'm from southern Manitoba, so I'm not sure it would be registered for use here, but I would like to investigate it. So, Scott, we were, I believe, talking about heat shield and it's so it's it's microbes that were actually some were actually discovered in Yellowstone National Park where around those geysers they have salt issues but mainly heat issues and we've just found that that uh, that biological or we call it a natural product has done really well for us it's basically fungal endophytes they end up living inside the plant and I know it seems kind of crazy but but we have absolutely seen lots of result with this. And it's something that's standard for us now for seed treatment on our farm on corn and soybeans. We're getting better better yields in drought, in salt, and in heat. So anyway, that was the product we were talking about. I don't know if it's labeled in Manitoba, though. All right, next one is from Gary. He says, uh, I attended a meeting where Darren was talking last month and he mentioned this new app called Verify that will plot and uh, coincide grid sample fertility and yield maps, he says here. Uh, anyway, can you can you guys help me with this? I can't find that anywhere. Okay, so Gary, we've been working on this here at Ag PhD for quite a while now. But anyway, it's an so we have worked with other companies to launch to help them launch a couple of apps in the past for soil testing. So this is one that's a little bit different in that, yes, it would be with soil testing, but one of the biggest things that we've done on our farm in the last five years is match our soil test information to yield. It's been powerful, the information that we have learned. It's helped us transform our fertility program and I mean, our farm is just—it's doing the best it ever has, and a lot of this I contribute 
to matching soil test to yield. So a lot of people have asked, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, well, we've been doing it manually. We wrote our own little computer program. But now there's this app that we're working on. We're hoping to launch it this summer. So you could basically have your soil test data go in. You could have your yield data go in, and it will generate this stuff. And then along with all of that, you can get satellite imagery and a few other things. So we're going to talk about it next week at our soils clinic. But otherwise, we'll get, get you more information as we move forward. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Before we go, just want to say thanks to Alex. He was producing the show for us. And uh, thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.